So as I've traveled to a number of countries um, throughout my lifetime around the world, I've, I've seen a lot of things. And I've seen a number of things that seem to be common in every single country that I've done travels in from throughout Europe and in particular Southeast Asia. But one of the things that I've seen that is common is worship of pagan gods, um, especially in Southeast Asia. And in Europe, there are pagan gods, believe it or not, and I've seen worship of that. The other part of things that I see in common is uh, not only worship of gods, but prostitution. It seems that that is something that goes hand and foot with the worship of pagan gods. In Southeast Asia, it's rampant, particularly in countries like Thailand. And I've been to a number of the major cities, and every single one of those major cities at night, there is a nightlife that comes out. And, and uh, they're worshiping pagan gods, and along with that, their pagan gods kind of give permission for promiscuity and, and uh, sex outside of marriage. And, and in Cambodia, when we spent time visiting Cambodia and where my youngest son Samuel is that we adopted while we spent those 10 or 15 days there it was very obvious that part of their culture was the worship of pagan gods but another part was that insidious part of the culture is prostitution and promiscuity in the city of Corinth there were a number of pagan temples and those pagan temples were places where people would go and they would sacrifice to the false gods and they would make animal sacrifices of all kinds to these temples, to these temp- at these temples, to these temple gods. And along with the sacrifices was, was also a part of their worship, and that was there were uh, groups of prostitutes that were there, and they were kind of like the priestesses of it. And, and so uh, men and women uh, would come, and they would sacrifice the meat and other offerings, uh, flour and whatnot, and then after that, part of their worship was to engage in uh, sexual relations with prostitutes. This is the one of the ways that they fulfilled their uh, worship of pagan gods. And so now, as we look at Scripture here, uh, Paul has come to Corinth and he has uh, presented the message of Jesus Christ. And there are Christ followers who, who have come and they have given their lives to Jesus, and, and uh, <clears throat> they have come out of this pagan worship where uh, meat is offered, uh, burnt sacrifices, and where uh, sexual relationships take place with, with uh, prostitutes from these pagan gods. And um, in chapter four, uh, chapter 8 and chapter 9 of Corinth, uh, Corinthians, Paul will go into the aspect or talk about um, meat sacrificed to pagan gods and whether we should eat or not. And in chapter 9, he continues on with that, that whole discussion. But, but today, uh, Paul is coming to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20, and he's talking about the subject of sexuality. Immorality back in those days is really no different than it is for us here today. The people of Corinth used sex in worship. We in America worship sex. Let me say that again. The people in Corinth used sex as worship, but we in America worship sex. Some of you guys are going, what do you mean? 
will turn on the television. Every form of entertainment ultimately leads down to some kind of sexuality. Videos and even video games are rampant with sex. And so I want to say that we are a culture that are off of our moorings. We're a culture not only do we use sex as a form of worship because we're worshiping our own bodies, but we actually worship sex. And Paul in our portion of Scripture today specifically wants to talk to us about that. And let's read through uh, this portion of Scripture, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. For all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord who will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take a member of Christ and make it then shall I shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute because one body it becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two shall become one flesh. But he who joins who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but sexual immorality person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. In these first few verses, what we're looking, going to look at is we're going to see how Paul is wanting to change their understanding or fix a false view uh, that they have towards their bodies and sexuality. In verse 12, he says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. All things are lawful for me. In Corinth, that was a slogan. It was a common slogan throughout the whole culture and even had invaded the church. It's much like a slogan that really became popular probably more in the 70s and through the 80s, and it's, if it feels good, do it. And then we have the Nike commercial, which is, just do it. And so we're not too far from the church in Corinth where it says that they believe that all things are lawful for them. They had a misunderstanding of the message of the freedom of Christ and the gospel. They had a misunderstanding of the grace of God. And they would say, well, I'll sin and then just ask forgiveness. You ever heard that? I'll just sin a little and ask for forgiveness. After all... God says that he will forgive us if we sin. I remember talking to a young adult a year and a half ago or so, and 
in our conversation, he was saying that, well, all I have to do is ask God for forgiveness, and he has to forgive me. And, and so what that means is that when I sleep with my girlfriend, if I begin to feel bad, I just ask God to forgive me, and he forgives me. And the unfortunate part is that young man had a, had a false understanding of the whole area of sexuality and how God set it all up. Yes, it's true, God does forgive. And one of the things we need to be aware of is that God is a loving and forgiving God, and He does forgive us of all of our sin. Now, Satan will come to us and tell us that God can't forgive you because you are too bad. And you've done things that are way out of the realm of God's forgiveness. But we know that's not true. According to 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess all our sins... He is, he, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To confess means to agree with God. When God convicts us of sin, we need to confess that sin. Now, you know, as we go throughout the day, there are times when we are going to sin. And, and Ken has talked about this. Uh, there are sins of omission and sins where we know that we are actually committing them, and there are sins that we sin, and we don't know we're committing them. And so when it says that He cleanses us from all unrighteousness, even the sins that we, we have committed that we don't even know we're committing, God's forgiven us of that. But the first part, it says, if we confess, if we agree with God, and that's when the Holy Spirit comes and says, you know what? When you just said that, hurtful word to that person that was wrong that was sin and at that point we come and we confess and say Lord that's right I sinned before you and I sinned against that person please forgive me and the good news is that God forgives us of all unrighteousness and, the, and, and, uh, and he forgives us from all unrighteousness and then Paul says that that not everything is helpful. Not everything is good for us in that verse. And sometimes we may ask ourselves, well, is it okay if I do fill in the blank? You know, when I was young, uh, in high school, um, I remember I, 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 I was at a Christian high school and our biology teacher, when talking about sexuality, um, and dating and dating relationships, one of the questions was, how far is too far? But the real question is, if I do something or I'm involved in some kind of activity, am I bringing glory to God's name because my body belongs to Him? Or am I bringing shame to God's name? And so the question shouldn't be, uh, how far is too far or... Uh, is it okay if I? The question should be the real question should, that we should be asking ourselves is what am I? If what I'm is what I'm doing beneficial in my walk to God? Are the things I'm involved in going to help me grow in God? Are the things I'm doing are they going to lead people outside of Christ to Him to understand who He is and 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 His love for us? Satan likes to play games with our thoughts. And uh, he often will come to us and he'll tell us, it's okay if you do this little thing. After all, 
God will forgive you. And he's not asking you to do anything big. He's just asking you to do something small. And those small things begin to add up. And pretty soon, you're no longer free, but you become a slave. Run the internet. We are looking at the news. And on the sidebar comes a little advertisement. And I'm probably talking more to men now than I am women, but I might be talking to women too. And there's someone attractive there and some kind of little catchy something. And we slide our mouse over and click on the button. And the next thing we know, we're going down a rabbit hole that is darker than sin. And it took that first look. And then the voice that we hear is, it's okay. This isn't going to hurt you after all. God will forgive you. And then we click again. And then three hours later, we're still clicking. And we're down the rabbit hole so deep we don't know what we're going to do. And then we're flooded with a sense of shame and guilt and agony and remorse. Because we know we're in an area where we never should be. We're in an area in pornography that of any kind that does not bring glory to God. Paul, in Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 26, 23, has this to say. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your body as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things which you, were, which you are now ashamed? For the end of these things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you you get leads to sanctification and it ends in eternal life for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord and so what Paul's saying here is that just a little dabbling takes you into bondage you're free from that you don't have to go to that God has paid a price for you Paul's telling us to Stay away from a little sin. Satan wants us to be involved in a little sin. A second slogan that the Corinthians would say is, food is for the stomach and stomach is for the food. So verse 13, it says, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So much like us today, many of us have this, Understanding that we can eat anything we want. It's okay. After all, one day these bodies will disappear and go into the grave and the worms will eat us up and it doesn't matter what we ate because our stomach is for the food and food is for our stomach. And Paul says, yeah, that's kind of right. But it, it's right in the, in the sense that one day, yeah, your, your body will go into the grave. But when it comes to sexual things, it's more 
than just the body. The sexual relationship is not just purely a physical relationship, but there's a spiritual relationship that takes place. And he says that the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Paul wants us to understand that God is the one that made our bodies, and God is the one that made the act of sex. And it's made for His honor and for His glory. Your body is for the Lord. It's not for yourself, for us. Every part of your body belongs to the Lord. The Corinthians had that mindset that, well, if food is for the stomach, then, of course, sexual things are for the body, and so we should fulfill ourselves with that, and then it's all going to die, and what's most important is, is the spirit. And there's a separation between spirit and body, and, and that's not the case when it comes to sexual, sexual activities. In verse 14, he says, And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. And what he's saying there is that, that our bodies will be raised up with Him in the power, just like the Lord Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And our bodies belong to God. All the way at the very end in verse 20, he says, For you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. It's all about glorifying God. Paul wants us to do everything within our bodies to bring glory to God. And our, God, and our bodies do belong to God, and that doesn't mean that we're robots, because God has given us free will, and God has given us the ability to make decisions. And what Paul's saying is make wise decisions. Give your body fully and completely in every area of your, of your, of your being, your mind, your thinking, uh, your stomach, the things you do, the exercise you do, and even in sexuality. Give it all to God. Casting Crowns has a song that says, I want my feet and I want my hands. You know that song? If Matt was here, oh, Matt's back there, he can probably... Uh, kind of sing it for us. but um, So they're talking about giving your hands and your feet and every part of your, your body to God. Uh, Paul says in uh, uh, chapter 6, verse 15 through, through 16, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? And shall I then take the member of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or, you do, or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one flesh with her? As it is written, the two shall become one. Sex is not a casual thing. The sexual union is more than just a physical union. In that sexual union, there is a spiritual union that takes place. And Paul is wanting people to understand God is the one who created sex. God is the one who created that for His honor and for His glory. And when two people uh, have sex, it says in, 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 in Genesis that the two become one flesh. It doesn't mean that they are married, but it means that there is a union that takes place. And it's a oneness that takes place. And it's not only a physical oneness, but there's a spiritual oneness. And so for that reason, we can't take it casually. 
It has to be in, in the parameters that God has set it up. Today we, we look at sex as a casual thing. We often hear about friends with benefits. What in the world is that? Does that mean that he's going to wash your car? Does that mean that she's going to bake some brownies for you? I don't think so. I think when they're talking about friends with, friends with benefits, it, it's that the sexual relationship comes along. It's just a casual thing and nobody gets hurt and everything's okay. And, and that's a life from the pit of hell. Because sexual relations outside of marriage always, listen to me, always brings hurt and pain and ultimately destruction. That's what happens with it. God is the one who created it. And it's not something to be taken casually. A sexual union outside of marriage will bring hurt, pain, and destruction. It will even destroy our nation. And right now, right now as we're talking, it is destroying our nation. God's the one that created it. So why have, why have we given authority to the world and people who do not believe in a creator God to tell us what sexuality is all about and to tell us about the freedom we're supposed to have in it? Why have we done that? We're guilty as a church because we don't talk about this. This is a subject we need to talk about because as we talk about this, we can put it in the right parameters of where it's supposed to take place. Because in, in the marriage relationship, marriage relationship being a man and a woman coming together and agreeing to love each other and to live with one another for all of their lives, to respect and honor and stand before a body of witnesses and say, this is what we're committed to. God has created us that way. And inside of that commitment and inside of that covenant, then the sexual union takes place. And it's not just a physical union, but there's a spiritual union because God enters into it. Outside of that, if you're a follower of Christ and you're having premarital sex, even with another Christian, it's unholy. It's not of God. And if you're married and you're having sexual relationships outside of your marriage, it's unholy and it's not of God. And it brings destruction. And Satan brings shame to our lives. And he says, you can never be forgiven. And Paul's saying, that's not the case. Remember I said in 1 John 1, 9, it says, God says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. We need to confess our sin before God and get it right. Satan doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to live in hurt and anguish. And, and, and that's not God's plan. God's promise is that he came so that we might live life and life abundantly. And so if you find yourself trapped today in, in a form of sexual sin, whether it's pornography or it's adultery or it's fornication, God is here to bring healing to all of us. He wants us to live a life of abundance. He doesn't want us to live listening to the whispers of Satan that says that you are worthless. I talk to people and I often hear people say, well, I'm a recovering alcoholic or I'm a recovering this or recovering that. 
and it's been 20 years and I'm recovering. That grieves my heart because God looks at the person and he doesn't say, oh, there's my alcoholic son or daughter and there's my adulterer son or daughter and uh, there's my fornicator son or daughter. He doesn't say that. He says, there's my son. There's my daughter. I died for them. I bought them with the high price. Now my daughter and my son may be struggling with these issues in life, but I'm there to set them free. I'm there to liberate them from that because I'm the one that bought them and I bought them with the high price. So when it comes to sexuality, the American church has done a poor job. And it's time for us to begin to tell the world the truth. Not in condemnation, but in love and grace. It's time for us to tell people that are caught up in the porn industry and caught up in pornography and caught up in in sexual addictions. You can be free. God is here to set you free. People who are lying and stealing and cheating, it's all the same. God is here to set us completely free. Paul says in verse 17, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And that is is such a powerful, powerful, powerful verse. You see, that means that the Spirit of God lives within us. And He gives us the ability to withstand those temptations that come our way. He gives us the ability to stand against culture that says, it's okay, you can take a second look. It's okay if you think about him like that, even though he's not your husband. It's okay. That's what the world says. But because of this verse, it says that, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. God's spirit lives within us. And we can overcome that through the power of his Holy Spirit. We can be set free, fully and completely free. God doesn't want us to walk around with shame in our lives because of the past that we have been involved in. And He doesn't want the church in Corinth to be walking around thinking that they're free in Christ and they can do whatever they want with food and sexual things. He wants them to understand that Christ bought them with a price. And so in in closing in verse 18 through 20 it says, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body. But this, but sexual immoral, immoral person sins against his own body. Flee. You know what the word, the Greek word for flee is? Flee. <laughs> Run away. That's what it is. <clears throat> That's the only way. It doesn't. That word doesn't mean go investigate it and try it and see what it's like. That's not what it means. It means totally flee. Run away from it. Get out of there. When you see the sidebar, click out. Get out. Shut the computer off. Stop it. That's what it means. And the reason Paul says this is because he knows that, you know, overeating, it it does affect the body. Uh, Gluttony is not a good thing. We have heart problems and all kinds of diseases because of that. Lack of exercise causes the same kind of thing. But that's just affecting the body. But sexual immorality affects more than the body. 
It damages relationships in the persons who are involved in it. And Paul says, get away from it. Get totally away from it. Flee. Just like Daniel. You remember Daniel when he was tempted with, with power and, and then Potiphar's wife decided that she really liked him and so she went after him. And I, in my mind, I look at it and I go, wow, that was a crazy scene, wasn't it? She's offering herself up to Daniel and he's looking and I know what's going on in his mind. It's not the Greek word flee, but it's the Hebrew word get out of here. And so he takes off, and she, he's taking off so fast that when she reaches out to grab him, she can't get his arm, but she gets his jacket, and he's still going. And he doesn't stop, and she's left with his jacket in his hand. And men, women, that's what we've got to do. We have got to flee. We don't stand around and investigate. We run. We run away from the area. Remove yourself from it. That's one of, the, one of the ways that we can keep from being pulled down and pulled away. In verse 19 through 20, I love these verses. It says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? It's a gift. The Holy Spirit is a gift from God to us. You're not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in not your own. The price was a high price. The price was Jesus Christ dying on the cross for all of our unrighteousness. When He died on the cross, He died for every sin we have ever committed or will ever commit. And God dwells within us by His Holy Spirit. Paul wants us to know that when it comes to sexuality and the sexual union, it's not just the body, but it's our whole being. It affects our spirit, it affects those around us, and it affects our nation. It's time for us as a church to get the news out that our bodies are not ours, they belong to God. And when we do that, we will begin to see healing in our We'll begin to see healing in our families. We'll begin to see healing in our own lives. Because God is the Lord of our lives. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that's so clear. That's so clear. No confusion. And today, I pray that you would move in our midst. I pray that, Lord, you would help us to not be bound in shame, but to come to the cross of Jesus. And, Lord, if there's any of us among us here today who, who are feeling weighed down and, and in guilt and shame, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to come to you because your word says that if we confess our sin before you. You were faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Help us to flee from sexual temptation, Lord. And help us to be your body in a broken world, I pray. In Jesus' name.